Isn't that good worship? I just would like to just bask in that for a little bit longer. We'll do a little bit at the end. But um, now I want to open the word of God to us. We're, we've been doing this study in the book of Hebrews. And last week, I felt like um, where that book took us hit, a, hit kind of a nerve. It was a, a place where I felt like um, I would like to kind of expound a little bit. And there's a, actually, so we're going to just take uh, this Sunday, we'll come back to Hebrews 6 next week. Uh, we were in Hebrews 5 last week. And I'm going to go to a small book in the Bible. It's one chapter. It's the book of Jude. And I choose that because Jude addressed something that we kind of touched on last week in, in the Word of God that I think is it's a, a, a point of uh, it's a point of redirection. It's a point of, of getting back on track. You know, sometimes you take side streets and you get off the main road and, and uh, sometimes that can take you you know, far away from your destination, you have to get back on the main street. And, and this does this for us in some ways. It pulls us as a church, as a people of God, to a place that I believe God wants us to be. So we're going to be in Jude. I, say, I don't have to say chapter one. There's only one chapter, so we'll be there. Okay, would you join me in prayer, and would you pray for me as I um, give the word of God to you and ask God to help me? In doing that, Heavenly Father, I we come before you. I'm so grateful that we get to communicate your word, to share your word. I, I pray that Lord, we'd be able to do that in such a way that is both understandable to everyone who's listening and their ears are open to hearing what you have to say to us. But also, I pray that Lord, you would help me as I communicate it. That uh, everything that isn't of you, you just throw out the window. And uh, everything that is of you, Lord, I pray that you would help me to communicate that well in Jesus' name. Jude, verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. It's interesting how Jude um, opens this up because Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. He, um, he... He um, grew up with Jesus, obviously. He was his brother. He was his, Jesus was his oldest, older brother. Him and James both. And, um, and they were not followers of their brother. I mean, I, what would it take for you to believe that your brother was God? Really, you know, I mean, they, they're just like you, and, and that would be kind of a, a, that's a tough sell. I mean, obviously Jesus was different. As the older brother, he did something that most older brothers don't do. He did not beat up on his younger brothers. So, you know, he, he probably treated them a little bit different. He was, uh, he was uh, w without sin. And so they, they saw the difference in their brother, but to go that far, they never did. In fact, while he was alive, they never really became followers of his. But after the resurrection... I mean, they saw all the things he did. They saw him heal the sick and raise people from the dead. And they must have just kind of been in awe about that and bewildered about that. But it wasn't enough. But when he conquered death and then he ascended into heaven, they bought in. But they don't, Jude doesn't describe himself as a brother. He doesn't take on that 
to describe himself as the brother of Jesus. Because he recognizes that, you know, you can't, you don't, uh, you, you, you don't define Jesus as just Jesus in the flesh. He, he was, he understood who he was. And so instead he says he's a bondservant. That means he, he, is, he is a chosen, he chose to be a slave of Jesus Christ. He chose to be a slave to the resurrected Jesus. And he described himself as the brother of James. So James was also the brother of Jesus or the, or the half-brother of Jesus. Now, there's two James. That, that's why there can be co confusion. There was the Apostle James who was the brother of John. And then there was James, the brother of, of Jesus, who, um, who became the first... Uh, first who became a martyr as well. So uh, it says, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for all those three designations, called by God, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus. Mercy, peace, love, be merciful, multiplied to you. Now, this is why I chose this portion, because of this verse here. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. So Judah's saying, listen, I'm, I'm writing you about these other things, but I've got to stop. I've got to talk to you about something. And it's important. I, I, I need to talk to you about contending earnestly for the faith. Because if we don't contend earnestly for the faith, who is going to? What will happen? What will happen to the truth that we hold dear if we aren't the ones who hold strong to it? We have to be the ones who contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. So we have the word of God that's been given to us by God. And this word is a revelation of the nature and character of God. It's a revelation of what, who God is and what he desires. It is truth. As Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And, and if we don't hold the truth, if we are not ones who, who um, protect the truth, who is going to? And what would happen? What happens to a world that is devoid of the truth? Well, now, what he's dealing with is he's dealing with an issue that was way back, right? In the early, in the start of the church, there was, there was something that had entered into the church that was extremely dangerous for the church. And by the way, it keeps rearing its ugly head and have, it has throughout the age of the church. There, there is this thing that keeps popping up that keeps brewing it you know that keeps uh, trying to invade it's it's a strategy from hell itself because as the church started to rise it had so much power and the the power of the church was not only in the power it was the power of the holy spirit the power of love the power of truth the church was powerful and unstoppable and when the church is functioning at its best, it is unstoppable. 
It is growing. It is it, the, the body of Christ. People are becoming disciples. And that process is worldwide. It's unstoppable. But the enemy knows how to slow down its growth. The enemy knows how to stop it, put it to, to actually, you know, put a stop to its, its process and, and progress. And know, he knows how to do it if we allow him to do what he does. And the way he does it is it's pretty easy to um, know what he's going to do because he keeps doing the same thing. But we're dumb enough to keep letting him do the same thing over and over again. So he, he now exposes it, and let's read about it as he takes us into this, into this process. And he, he, he does a warning. It says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. He says there are people, there's these men that have come in and they've already been marked out for judgment. In fact, in this he's going to talk a lot about judgment. Something we don't hear a lot of. And the reason is because there needs to be a balance that comes into the church about who God is, the nature of God. I want you to notice here it says, they turn the grace of our God into lewdness. How do they do that? Well, one thing we know about God, he is incredibly gracious. God is filled with, he's a God of grace. We know he's gracious. That, that, is, that, that God gives us what we don't deserve in such a wonderful way. God is gr filled with grace. His grace is because of his grace that we have forgiveness of sin. It's because of his grace that we have eternal life. We have salvation. It's because of his wonderful grace. But there is what oftentimes is referred to as a cheap grace. A cheap grace is... This idea of grace that actually Paul had to address in the book of Romans when he said that there are people who, who think this way. This is their pattern of thinking. If I sin, God forgives me and I get grace. So I get grace when I sin. So the more I sin, the more grace I get. That sound good? I just, I, I, I get to, I, the more I sin, the more grace Look at how wonderful can that be if you think sin is a good thing. Sin is pleasurable, the Bible says, for a season. Like I've said before, it's kind of like eating strawberry shortcake with Sinai on it. It tastes good as it goes down, but it will kill you. And the fact is that sin is incredibly destructive. One of the reasons the church thrives is because of sin, not sin within it. It thrives because of the destruction of th sin that drives people to find an answer. Our church is filled with people who have come to Christ because, because sin ruined their lives. It always does. 
unchecked sin, unrepented sin will destroy your life. And it might, and, and it's so tempting. It's, it's kind of like, you know, destructive drugs in people that you sin. There's kind of a, there's a pleasure to it and you get caught into it. You get, oh, you get controlled by it and all the time it's destroying you. And some people come to the place in their life where they're so miserable and they actually decide, you know what, I need an answer. I need an out. And they find that Jesus is that answer. Some people are bound in that sin and never get out in their life. And so he says, he says, he says there are these people who come in, who come into the church, and they've taken the grace of God into lewdness. They, they basically have said this. It really doesn't matter how you live your life because God's grace forgives you. And so go ahead, and the term they use is eat, drink, and be merry because you're forgiven by God. And that is so, such, such a distortion of the truth. It's a distortion not only of the truth, it's a distortion of the nature of God. And it's a distortion of sin. Sin itself produces not someone becoming closer to God, it drives you away from God. And unrepentant sin, when it continues in your life, the problem with unrepentant sin, it eventually turns into actually idolatry. It's a worship of false gods. It's a worship. Listen, when sin is unchecked within someone who claims they're a Christian, what eventually happens to them is they come to the place where Jesus is not Lord. Look at what it says right here. He says, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Where Jesus is not, not only the Lord, is no longer the Lord, and, and he is sometimes just one of the means of salvation. Every other thing kind of works. If you have a belief in something, it's good enough. It turns to that because it's a distortion of the grace of God. It's a distortion of the nature of God. And, and Jesus actually told us to be aware of the fact that the problem that comes into the church. I am convinced that the world is not the problem that the church is. And I, I'm going to say it this way. The, and I love the church. And I don't want to bash the church. But I want to say this about the church. The church, is a, the church can be incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful. It is in our compromise that weakens us. It's in our inability to hold fast to the truth that's been given to us in Christ that causes us not to be as effective as we could be in the world. I don't expect much from the world. I know when I was in the world, I had no power over my sin. I, I just went with whatever felt good at the moment, whatever was, you know, the thing. I, God's, uh, God's law, God's truth, that was not even in my mind. I, I was subject to just the, world, the, the whims of the world and whims of my own, you know, momentary desires and but but when you come to christ there's a strength you have a power that comes because of the power of the holy spirit to transform your life and to affect other people and to love the unlovely and all of those kinds of things happen because of jesus and only the, ch the church has the answer 
But when the church is compromised and when the church allows for, and this is what the enemy does, and, and Jesus told this story. Actually, it's in Matthew chapter 13. You, have to, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus told this story of how the enemy actually works. He talks about a farmer who goes out and sows seed into his fields. And then he says, at night, while he's sleeping, the en his enemy comes and he sows weeds into his field. Weeds and what is referred to as tares or weeds. He, he sows the terror, tares into the field. And then they grow up. They, as they start to grow, his servants recognize it and say to him, hey, hey um, you know, somebody sowed all these tares into the, the field. And should we go and pull them all out? And, uh, and the, farmer, the, the farmer says, no, 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 no. He says, he says don't, don't pull them out because they look like the wheat. And you might accidentally grab a wheat instead of, instead of a weed. So let it grow. And he says, and at the harvest, that's when Jesus comes back. He will separate the weeds from the wheat. He'll separate. So the point being this, that within the church there was always going to be weeds and wheat. The, the, the wheat are the true followers of Christ, true believers, and the weeds are not followers of Christ or born again. Though they look like they are, but they're not. Now, what our job is, is not to judge whether they are or not. That's not our job. Our job is to look around and say, I think that's a weed right over there. You know, are you a weed? I, I saw that person during worship. They only lifted up one hand. You know, they, I don't know if they're really born. No, that's not our job. We don't know. Just kind of eliminate that, right? You just make the assumption, anyone who claims to be a Christian and follower of Jesus, they are. We make that assumption. Let, let's, we leave that all up to God in that process. But he says there will be people who are false teachers within the group. And those have to be marked out. They have to be exposed. They have to be dealt with. They have to, we have to stop the false teaching that comes in. If we don't, they will in fact destroy the church. And that, so Jude is now, he's telling us about this. And in verse 5 it says, But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. And he says, you once knew this? Don't they know it now? No, he's reminding them. Don't you remember that, you know, there's almost three million, between two and three million people, we, uh, around that many people, were going into the promised land. God had promised to them, go into the promised land. They sent out 12 spies. Ten of them came back and said, we can't go in. There's giants in the land. They'll destroy us. And the people complained about God. And they ended up, all of them, none of them getting into the promised land except for their children, all the adults were destroyed in, in the wilderness. And why is he bringing that up? 
he's reminding us of something we don't think about or talk about much. See, we love to talk about the grace of God, right? We should. God is so gracious. We're, we're here because of that. If it wasn't for God's grace. But, but God is gracious, but he's also filled with truth. He is holy. And when you, when you don't know God's word, when you forget the truth, when you get away from the truth, or you listen to false teaching, this is what false teaching always does. It will always, it will always focus on one element and, and, and just go down that road without giving you a balance of God's word. That's why last week we talked about the importance of the word of God in our life. Otherwise, we don't have any discernment. It's so easy to be... To, 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 to buy a lie about God when you don't have God's word that balances you in truth. And this is God's word balancing us and saying, don't forget the fact that there is judgment, folks. I mean, who likes to talk about hell? I don't. I don't even think Jesus liked to talk about hell, but it was the truth. And when it was necessary, he talked about eternal judgment. He talked about the consequences of sin. And understand that because if you don't understand that, if you don't believe that, you'll go down a road that will cause more destruction and pain in your life than you know. And so he's warning them and he says, then he warns them, he, he gives examples. He gives the example of the children of Israel going to Egypt. The next example is about angels. He says, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Now, these are fallen angels. They, they were angels, and they fell. What happened to them? I mean, if angels could fall, and they're, they're going to be under judgment, shouldn't we kind of be aware of the fact that that's a possibility in our own life and kind of keep away from that? He says, and as... The third one is Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality. I mean, just the term Sodomite comes from Sodom and Gomorrah, sexual immorality. And gone after strange flesh. And remember the story that the angels came uh, to, to Lot and, and there were... Uh, there was a band of homosexuals that wanted to have sexual relationship with they thought were the visitors of Lot. And the, the consequences to that, he says, strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. He says, remember what happened to that city. That city was under so much sexual immorality that God destroyed it. He wants us to be reminded of that. That God didn't just kind of, you know, j just kind of go, you know, I, I, it doesn't matter what you do. But there are consequences to sin. The greatest consequence to sin actually isn't like what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the unchecked sin that continues on from generation to generation. And we're all subject to it. Sin is, is common to us. We understand sin, but unchecked sin and this kind of sexual immorality. See, Sodom and Gomorrah didn't just have people who had fallen into sexual sin. They were given over to sexual sin. 
given over. Folks, we our, our nation is that way right now. It's given over to sexual sin. We, we now, the things that God says is sin, we say it's normal and it's okay and it's right. In fact, we have done what the scripture says in the last days would happen. We've made good evil and evil good. And so there is this, there is, when an individual decides to live according to the standards of God and God's word, they are picked out as being, well, being odd and being, and being, you know, there's something wrong with them. I know, I know, in fact, in our church, there are, on several occasions where there were uh, young people who were in college who had chosen to live according to the biblical standards of sex only with your married with your mate have chosen to live that it was found out that they were virgins and were attacked not only by the students but they were attacked by their the, their their teachers as being something wrong with them and they've stood, and you know that that's the case, right? I don't have to convince you. You know that's the way our world is right now. We have been given over to sexual sin. Now, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah as an example, the Scripture says, as an example. So we would, we would remember. See, it says, uh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So we see what it's like. This is, remember, the fire came down and just burned the place up and burned them up. And, and God did that as an example for the fact that there's an eternal fire. And we should be aware of that. And I, I say unrepentant sin. This is why it's so important to repent of our sin and to turn to Christ and to get the freedom to live our lives the way Jesus wants us to live our lives. Now, I am grateful that God is not destroying every city in the same way as he did Sodom and Gomorrah who were given over to sin. Because if that was the case, I would suggest you get out of Anaheim real quick. You know, and your Belinda and Brea and Placentia and wherever else you're from. That's, that's the reality. I think it was, in fact it was, it was uh, Billy Graham who said, if God does not judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because judgment, because of the way we have gone, and actually I believe we are suffering judgment. We're suffering the consequences of sin in our nation. Our nation is suffering terribly. The, 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 the degrading of our moral values have caused so much pain in people's lives. So much pain individually in families and brokenness. We, we, we don't understand what life would be like if we in fact followed Christ in his way. We followed God's word. What would life be? It'd be a whole lot different in this world. It'd be so much better. 
so much more happiness in our world. And I, I'm not saying or even assuming that there's are ignorant of the fact that we're all subject to sin. We are. Everyone in this place, right? I mean, if God was in fact, this isn't about like kicking out people from the church that have sinned, right? If we started picking, kicking out people, I mean, if God said, if God kicked out everyone that sinned, right, there would be nobody left but me. You know? <coughs> okay, I'm probably... I'd probably get kicked out too. <clears throat> no question. But it, it isn't about individual like falling. This is, but it's individuals who fall and then assume that I'm just fine because I can do whatever I want to do because of God's grace. And that is a teaching. Like I said, it's not new to the church, but it has, it has raised its ugly head in the last couple decades. It has raised its ugly head, and it is in the church. And what has happened is, it is there is this uh, compromise in the church, and the compromise is that that we just decide we're going to reach the world by becoming more like the world, and that's some of the argument in it. We'll reach the world by becoming a little bit closer to the world, a little bit more like the world, a little less judgment on when it comes to sin, the, the, what the Bible says, just a little bit. We're just, just, just going to, let's tone it down a little bit. And I'm not a hellfire damnation preacher, okay? But, but let's, just, let's just tone it down. In fact, let, let's never mention it. Because it will offend somebody. And it offends people. And because it offends people, we're not going to be able to reach as many people. And that is a lie and deception straight from hell. The church's power is in its counterculture. It's not, and I've said this the last three weeks. Our problem, the church has never been strong when we have, when we have become like the culture. Our strength is being contrary to the culture. Why? Because when, why many of you who are now followers of Jesus Christ, why you're here is because you messed up your life in sin. You, your sin, you, 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 you finally got to the place where your sin had done its toll on you and you were looking for work and I go. And if you showed up to a place that was okay with your sin, you would have never got free from it. The reason you get free is because you, you come to a place that says, listen, there's an answer. There's freedom. You don't have to live in your sin anymore. That doesn't mean perfect, but God will has, there's power for you. And that's the strength of the church. When the church compromises and starts going, well, listen, it's no big deal. It's God's grace. You just do what you need to do, and God won't, you know, God loves you, and, and he does. But the truth of God is in this balance, the nature of God. So a church that only preaches grace and God's love, but never balances it with the nature of God, the holiness of God, the character of God, the purity of God. If we never balance it, we have a 
we have a false gospel that we're communicating. I, I heard, I saw someone asking this question to some Christians and said, and they said, you're saved, right? Yeah. What are you saved from? And they had this big stare. Like, when am I, 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 like something. It was embarrassing to see it, to watch it happening. Because the person that was asking was actually an atheist. The answer is, I'm saved from the consequences, the power, and the presence of sin. That's what I'm saved from. And, and, and if I'm not saved from the consequences, the power, and the presence of sin, then I'm still bound by it. And God, Jesus has saved us to be free from sin, not to find a way to live with it comfortably. And so he goes on and he says, likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh. Now I want you to notice how he attacks these false teachers. It's not, you know, some of us would go, well, don't talk, don't talk bad about them. You know, okay, you, you know, kind of just... Just you know, teach the truth, but don't don't you don't have to you don't have to malign these people. Jesus says these are false dreamers who defile the flesh, reject authority, speak evil of of dignitaries. Um, verse ten. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts. In these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have, they have gone the way of Cain and have run greedily in the error of Balaam and profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. The, verse 12, these are spots in your love feast while they feast with, with, with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars from whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. I think Jude is kind of ticked at these guys. Don't you think? He's, trying, he's exposing them. You know, false teachers in the scriptures, Paul, Peter, actually mentions names and tells you, watch out for them. They're evil. They're ungodly. Stay away from them. They're perverted. They're sick. And we have, we, 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 there is this, unfortunately, I see churches that are close. There are churches that have crossed the line. I know that too. And I see that there are churches that are close. And they're close because they've already gotten into the compromising idea that you just don't speak all the truth of God's word. 
You, you, you can bring up parts of it. You can bring up some things. But there are just some things you don't talk about because it offends people. And that does not help the church. It doesn't strengthen the church. It weakens the church. And you might get some folks coming in, but you end up with a whole lot more tares than you do wheat. In order, because what you do is you just compromise the truth. What are we saved from? And so, he gives us these, and, and I find out, I, I realize I'm running out of time, but let me, he gives us three um, examples, and I'll close with this quickly. He says, Woe to them, they have gone the way of Cain. I'm in verse 11 now. Woe to them, they have gone the way of Cain. Well, who's the way of Cain? Well, the way of Cain is the way that goes, I worship my own way, not God's way. I, don't have, I, I, I can worship the way I want to worship, and God better accept it. And that's what Cain did. Cain brought his offering to the Lord, and Abel brought his offering to the Lord. And Cain's offering was not accepted of the Lord. And he brought his, his, the, the fruit of the ground. And, uh, and Abel brought, the, um, he brought the, the, you know, he brought his meat to, to God. God loves meat. I'm, I'm just kidding. I, just, I, I think he does, but I'm just but Anyhow, point being, right? Point being, it really wasn't about the meat and it wasn't about the grain. I don't believe that at all. Because God receives grain offerings. He is always. But, um, but the, 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 a blood offering was required for forgiveness of, or covering of sin back then. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. That was, the, that was the covering of sin. But the point simply was this. Cain got really ticked off because Abel's sacrifice was accepted and his wasn't. And instead of going, okay, Lord, what do I do to make my sacrifice acceptable to you? He got jealous and killed his brother. He was angry. The Bible says that, you know, that is a, really a picture of the way the world will operate also. But the point is this, that, that do we worship our own way or do we worship the way that honors God? How do we worship? Do we make the choice? I hear people say, I'll worship God the way I want to. Okay, I hope he's pleased with the way you want to. But we know what he says. There is a way that honors God in our worship and in our life. And our life is an expression of worship. And, and when we live in a way that's contrary, and we say, well, I'm honoring God because I sing some songs, not so. Not necessarily so. And so he says, they've gone the way of Cain and run greedy in the era of Balaam. Balaam was greedy. Money was his whole thing. He was a prophet. Cain was a farmer. Balaam was a prophet. And he was, he was hired to curse the children of Israel by, by Balak. Balak wanted him to curse the king, to, to curse Israel and, uh, for, for the Moabites and and he went to curse, and instead he had to bless them because God wouldn't curse them. God blessed them. And so he get paid, and, and the guy who hires him goes, wait a minute, I, uh, I hired you to curse them, and you bless them. He says, well, you know, I can't curse, but God doesn't curse. 
fact, he did it several times to get some more money. And finally, he says to Balak, he says to, to the Moabite king, he says, he said, listen, why don't, I, I know what you can do. You can take your, the women with their false gods and you send them into the camp of Israel. And when they go there, they're going to they're gonna have sexual relationships with the men. They're going to get, some of them get married. They're going to, they're going to corrupt them. And when they get into their sexual sin, instead of being blessed by God, then they will also get into idolatry. They'll start worshiping false gods. That's exactly what happened. See, the strategy of the enemy is always the same. It's the same strategy. He's always going to weaken the church, to weaken the people of God, by compromising in their sin so they end up in idolatry. And he says, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And this is the last one. Korah was a priest at the time of Moses. And he looked at what Moses was doing. Moses talked with God. Moses got the law. Moses kind of is directing. Moses is a leader. And he got jealous of him. See, he had his own leadership. He was a priest. He had his own leadership. And, and then he looked and he says, why does Moses get to be the one telling everybody what to do? I'm a pretty good guy, and there's other people like here. Why do we have to listen to Moses? And so they confronted Moses. Moses, we don't think you should be the guy. And Moses says, well, if God says I'm the guy, I'm the guy. If I'm, God says I'm not the guy, I'm not the guy. He says, so... Why don't we tomorrow, we'll go and we'll make sacrifice to the Lord and see who the Lord accepts. And of course, the next day, they gather together and, uh, and God chooses. He opens up the ground and swallows up all those other guys who were going against Moses. There's quite an earthquake. And they were dead. Why does Jude bring up that story? Because Jude wants to remind us Okay, God is gracious. God is loving. God will forgive you. But don't forget that God is holy. And God is pure. And God has righteous judgment. We can't judge. You know, we're not to judge. But can we do this? Can we hold to the righteous standard of God and love people at the same time. Can we do that? We have to. We have to. What we have seen in our culture, the culture cannot lead us, folks. It can't. It's always going to go down the road of, of, the, of, of satanic and evil and sin. It's always going to head that direction. It's always going to be in that pattern. And when the Bible says something's wrong, it's wrong. And I don't have to compromise it. I mean, the scripture is very clear, right? Sex outside of marriage is sin. It is. It is. We, we live in a culture that does not believe that and 
thinks it's just ridiculous and stupid. And the church compromises in that. And I'm, unfortunately, there's consequences of that. And God's gracious and he forgives. And, and we live in, and the church lives in that. And we walk in the grace of God. There are certain patterns of life. Homosexuality is a sin. But, but I have friends who are homosexual. Love them. And I won't even expose some of the, but just by me telling some things, it would, you would know. And it's not important for me to, to do that. Love them. Can I love them and still say that their, 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 their choices is contrary to God's word and God's will? Can I do that? The world says you can't. But I don't care what the world says, quite frankly. I know I can. I know I can love someone who is in sin and living in a sinful life pattern. I know I can love them with all of my heart. I know I can. Well, I know because I do it. And the church can do it. But if we stop saying what is right is 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 what is wrong is right. If we, we start saying what is wrong is right, we lose all credibility. Because we have to compromise God's word and pretty soon we're not saying, we're not just saying that what is wrong is right. We start saying who is right is wrong. And we're talk, I'm talking about God. We start saying, well, yeah, because see, there's other things that are kind of hard to say. Like Jesus is the only way of salvation. That's a difficult one. So what do you do? Well, you, you, if you compromise another portion of Scripture, will you compromise that one? Will you start saying, you know, there's really maybe another answer. Maybe someone could believe in Buddha and it'd be good. Maybe somebody just, you know, they have their own view about God and that's fine too. Maybe it really doesn't matter. And the church is now no longer the church. And Jude says, listen, you and I, we have to be the ones who hold the truth of God. We have to be the one who preserve the truth, our faith. That's God's call to us. Amen? I hope you agree with that. I invite you to read the rest of that, the book. Take a look at what it says. We didn't get to go through it all, but I encourage you. It's just one chapter, so you're halfway through already, all right? Take the time and read it and see what God's word speaks to you. We need God's word in our life, okay? If, if all you're getting is preaching on Sunday or when, and Wednesday, and you're not in the word on your own, you're in trouble. It's just a matter of time. You have to get in God's word. Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray for anyone here who is, or who is watching online Lord, who, um, who is far from you. Lord, maybe their life has been facing the consequences of their own sin. You're the answer to that. You're the only answer. In our failure, in our weakness, Lord, you're the answer. You're our hope. And so, Lord, I pray that they would turn to you. And if you want to do that, even right now, you can say to Jesus, you can say to God this, Dear God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe you were buried and that you conquered death. And so I choose you to be my Savior. I want to follow you. And I ask you to do what you claim you can do. 
and that is that you cleanse all of cleanse my soul from all of my sin. I ask you to do that right now. I receive you. I receive your cleansing. You are my hope. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And listen, if you prayed that, I encourage you to go to our website, ccanaheim.com. Let us know that you received Christ. We'll send you some information, get you started in your walk with God. Do that, okay? Shall we close in a, in a song of worship? Let's lift our hearts to the Lord.
choose to praise you the name above all other names amen amen have a great week we'll see you guys back here on wednesday or sunday